Hi, it's Luna. There's going to be issues of depression and anxiety come up as well as menopause. If you are suffering from depression or anxiety, I would suggest please that you get some help. I suggest you start with your GP. If you don't like your GP, find another one and see where you go from there. What the world needs now is to hear more from middle-aged white men like me. I can feel it in my bones. I just reckon that my time has really come. So when a friend of mine, who is not a white middle-aged man, asked me to be the interlocutor on a series that examines a really important subject that has almost nothing to do with me, I naturally jumped at the chance. I mean, what more could I want than to stick my bib in where it wasn't needed on another subject that had nothing to do with me? My name is Nick, and I'm going to be the devil's advocate for a project that we're going to call Vanator. Luna is my co-conspirator, but the more equal among equals. She's the one actually doing the stuff that we're going to be talking about. I'm just picking holes in it because, you know, as a rationalist, it's kind of what I do. Welcome to your own show, Luna. There are different ways that anxiety can be sort of brought on in someone who suffers from anxiety. You can have situational anxiety and you can have sort of just chronic clinical, can't you? Yeah, just basically the chemicals in your brain don't work right. And well, and then there's also the hormones. So anxiety tends to kick in at a certain age for a lot of women because the hormones are changing. I would also bet that there would be some pretty good environmental uh, inputs to that too. Here's another. So you're starting to physically witness it. You're starting to mentally worry about it. That's right. And then there's a global situation that you've got layered on top of that, anyone at the moment, and that really amps it up. And the other thing is everyone around you or most people around you are also a bit amped up because of the global situation and caffeine. (laughs) Yeah, right. Do you feel um, other people around you behaving differently through COVID? You notice the difference, do you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably, yeah, since last year and the, the longer we stay in lockdown and, in fact, now I'm, not, I'm watching New South Wales. I'm in Victoria, Nick's in New South Wales. And so now I'm watching New South Wales go through the crazies. Um, I, I was forced to watch, I was in a doctor's waiting room yesterday and forced to watch one of those morning programs where they completely lost the plot. They actually called time on the team losing the plot and they were showing behind the scenes and someone was running around like a lunatic. Um, I was trying very hard not to watch the show, but it was one of those small waiting rooms where I was forced to. And then I got forced to watch Gladys. And so then the other thing that happened in the waiting room was everybody got amped up even though we're in Victoria, watching Gladys talk amps us up as well. Well, I can understand that. I can only apologise for the behaviour of our Premier. She has been an omni-shambles. And I'll I'll tell you something, even though you have geographically placed me in New South Wales, I'll tell you something that I notice now is that I'm an ex-Sydney sider who's moved to regional New South Wales and the very very different approaches that have been taken uh, in those two places. And I really do get the deep resentment about Sydney that's felt everywhere else. Yeah. Well, I would say, and this is where empathy comes in. So when 
New South Wales, Sydney in particular, first got hit with the Delta in 2021, Melbourne had a whole lot of empathy because we'd been through 2020. And Melbourne was basically saying, if you want help, we're here. And Sydney just went, well, it appeared Sydney went, we're not really interested you know, piss off. Um, except when it came to Pfizer, <laughs> it turned out that was that was the one time uh, New South Wales wanted to be friends. And and I would say there is still a lot of empathy slash sympathy for New South Wales from Victoria, although there is yes, quite a bit of upset that the border got broken, but. Whose fault was it that the border got broken? No one can say. Whose fault was it that New South Wales wasn't locked down as hard and fast as Victoria would have been in the same scenario? That one's easier to point a finger at. There wasn't a lot of sympathy that I was aware of for Gladys's position, that it was an economic decision before a health decision. Yes. Well, that's what we could see every day. I stopped watching her, but in the first place, I'd watch her. And I'd hear what she was saying. I'd say, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. No. Mm. And I had to stop watching because it was like watching a slow motion explosion, but it didn't occur to me. And I'm not sure why, but it would eventually leak over the border. And we managed to stamp down the first one. And the second one looked like we got rid of it, but that one actually had never had just gone underground. And so that's what's risen up now. And uh, so now we wait for people to get injections. So our goalposts have shifted and we weren't very good at number one. So let's just say that we're very good at number two and move on. Nothing to see here. Thank you, LNP. The, the disgraceful way that news has been handled by New South Wales is also doubly insulting. And, and for a lot of people, it just echoes with the other thing about Gladys most likely being corrupt or at least sleeping with someone who was manifestly corrupt. Um, it just feeds into a whole bunch of other levels of disgust that, quite frankly, on top of a Trump presidency, just makes everybody who feels a little bit left of centre just, again, aghast, appalled and unable to do anything about what is happening to our public discourse. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but yes. Like, uh, I'm so, I was so surprised by the way things played out in New South Wales. I can pretty much guess what Victoria's Premier will do based on the numbers. And I'm happy that he's been involved in the national plan. And hopefully the national plan was heavily skewed by all the others who are into hard and fast lockdowns. See, here's a funny thing that you're pointing at. You're actually far more aware of all of this than than I am because you're more anxious and watch the news, whereas <laughs> I, I keep my anxiety at bay by being woefully under-informed. Yeah, well, so I don't watch the news. I get my husband to tell me the number. I occasionally dip into The Guardian. I occasionally accidentally see one of the premiers, and I'll read if there's a major change. And I read the national plan because I was like, okay, there's a plan now. That's awesome. I'll read that, especially like as it's it. only an A4. Yeah, and you'd like a plan. <laughs> You're the type of person who really doesn't want to wing it. I, I do like a plan, don't, don't we all? Isn't I mean, nah. well, ang- you know, anxiety comes from uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I'm sensible, but no, I've never planned anything in my life. 
the does the do you not get anxious from the uncertainty of not knowing when you'll be out of lockdown? Uh, I am so short-sighted. I have the attention span of a kitten with a ball of yarn. If we get through today, beauty. Well, that's good. You live in the moment then. Yeah, well, no, I'm, 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 I'm also anxious in that moment, so I'm also, <laughs> I'm also worrying. But, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an amorphous cloud of worry that hangs over me nonstop. If you actually look at me, you'd be surprised to know that I'm only 24 years old. It's been tough. I've known you at least 24 years. <laughs> actually, yeah. You weren't a baby when we met. Or maybe you were. I don't know. <laughs> actually, I can tell you it's over 50. <laughs> Yeah, of course it is. Yes. Hi, it's Luna speaking. Normally there would be an ad break about here, but I haven't managed to organize any sponsors yet. So I just thought I'd put a little plug in about the email address we've set up to listen to you. It's speak at vanator.com, S-P-E-A-K at V-A-N-I-T-A-W.com. We do want to hear from you. And that's why I've set up the email. But I have noticed a tendency around here that if you're walking your dog, it's fine not to have your mask on your chin. What? I know. I don't know why. There's, there's going to be a lot of study in 20 years' time into subtle etiquettes of mask usership. I was reading a woman the other day complaining. She was in Walmart. So, you know, you, you, you pays your money, you takes your chances. But she was in Walmart and she said she saw, she saw a woman take off her mask to sneeze elaborately five times and then put her mask back on. The thing is, I can just imagine someone like me doing that absentmindedly. Like I've seen, I've seen a welder get... So I want you to imagine someone doing a bit of spot welding. So they've got the mask on, which is very dark, and then they pull it up to look and then they put the mask back on to weld. So it goes sort of... Lift, lift. And he got himself all out of sequence and was <laughs> with, the, with the mask away from his eyes and was putting his mask on to look. He could see he'd just been doing it too long that day, you know, and got himself out of sequence. He's had too much coffee. He's yeah. been watching too much of the news. Yeah. And he's no longer focused on a job where you actually really do have to focus or you might burn off your face. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I similarly saw some footage of a poor old nurse at a at a vax station tapping the bubble out of the vaccine and squirting it into the air after after putting the needle in the woman's arm. Well, they they must be very stressful places to work, and everyone there is stre- stress is very contagious. That's the other thing. Emotions are contagious. That is a physiological thing that we are built with because we used to be in tribes and you used to have to understand each other. They're the maddest people I've ever met who've been psych nurses. Yeah, well, they need to find a way to sort of release whatever they've taken on during the day. I have found on more than one occasion the way they find release is by finding the keys to the drug cabinet. Yes, I, I think there is a bit of that that goes on. And then there's the, the thought that they tender towards that sort of um, profession in the first place because they're a little bit that way inclined, you know, so they're just going 
to people who are slightly more sick than they are. And I don't want to sound insulting to psychiatric nurses at all, because a lot of them are just absolute gems. No, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I don't think I've met a psychiatrist that I fully trusted. They've always said they've, every single psychiatrist I have personally dealt with, to me, has felt obviously barking compared to me, including yeah. one psychiatrist I saw who was monstrously, morbidly obese. And, and I, I, I just couldn't help that real deep down instant gut reaction. Well, if you can't even control your spoon, what advice are you going to give me about life? I had one hand me some antidepressants. He was contemplating which type to give me. And he said, oh, I got these playing golf the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Why I don't you try them? <laughs> And I'm assuming that well, he just didn't find him on a riverbank. That no, it was a, no, it was a colleague of his. Rep. I, I have misquoted him. Sorry. <laughs> and so it, it was like, really, you're supposed to be a specialist in these sort of medications, and you're making the determination based on what you happen to have sitting on your table because you played golf with someone yesterday. I don't think they're allowed to take them to play golf anymore. This was about 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. I um. Gee. Going to a psychiatrist at the age of four, Luna, that's, that's tough. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yes. Um, and yeah. going through menopause at 24 is also really oh, tough. Yeah. Swings, swings and roundabouts. At least you still have that lovely thick beard. So, um, I'm not going to say that the amount of training that an acupuncturist has is the same, but I have had... <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> but I have had exactly the same thing where I've been sitting, you know, paying the paying the bill and I've reached around and pulled a needle out of my head. So I'm leaving. I'm about to leave. And I've pulled a needle out of my head and I've said to the acupuncturist, Oh, do you think this is yours? He went, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens all the time. And I couldn't help myself. I said, so it's not really science, is it then? Cause if, if you're just putting in a random number and you don't get the same number out, you didn't have much of a plan to start with. Did you? And he was like, oh, you know, it's, it's always, he just avoided that and said, oh, it's always worse with, worse with ladies with long hair. And I thought, okay. And then he sold me two buckets of pills. And he said, take three of these four times a day. Here's 64. That should last you a few months. And I went, I'm to carry the one. No, it won't. That's only going to last, you know, a couple of, a couple of weeks. And he said, oh, okay, then take three of them three times a day. And, and again, I was like, this isn't, this ain't science, is it? Well, look, it sounds to me like maths was not his strong point. And they do actually sometimes leave needles in deliberately just a little bit longer. They tell you to take one home with you in a particular spot. Really? Yeah. What, like the bridge of the nose or the back of the ears? Or? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's usually on the head. I haven't done it for years, but and and they say, oh, I'll just take that one eight and a half an hour or something. Right. No, he never told me that. And he was he he took it. He took it away from me, going, Oh yeah, oh, I left that there. <laughs> oh, what am I like? You know, well, you know, what harm was it gonna do? Well, I imagine turning over in bed and breaking it would be a bit of a pain in the neck. Was it in your neck? It was in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I am recording, the Burrowong people. I don't know which land Nick is recording on, and I'll add it in as soon as I work it out. I also want to acknowledge our planet, our home. People like myself 
have made an absolute mess of the planet and every day I strive to do better. I also want to acknowledge you, our listener. If you would like to speak to Nick or I, I've set up an email. It's speak at vanator.com. S-P-E-A-K at vanator.com. How can you want to be part of a religion that does not want you and actively says that your existence is an abomination? I don't know is the honest answer to that. And I personally wouldn't do it because I feel like there's a shopping cart of religions out there. But if you've been brought up Catholic and those those beliefs really mean something to you, and we know that, you know, they do change their minds about things every so often. I think the latest Pope has been a bit more open about people who are not heterosexual. I know. And, and I mean, I know he's supposed to be the senior representative of God on earth, but who is he to suddenly start countermanding, you know, the good book? I just love this eye-picking from, for the sake of convenience from their religious texts because suddenly it becomes unfashionable. I find this really lily-livered on behalf of the, the religionists that uh, unless you're an inerrant believer, I reckon you're just taking the piss. If you want to pick and choose or interpret, you are now suddenly getting between God's word and God's will. Yes. Uh, look, I think all religions and all other spiritual modalities are general guides. Nobody has got it exactly right. And that people should feel free to trust their own gut. And that, yes, some of these things, the rules were set a long time ago in a society that was totally different and they are irrelevant and they need to be revised. But if you've got a book that says there will be no revisions made, you've got a bit of a problem there. But that also, and we should be wrapping it up soon, but that also means that your God that you're believing in is fallible. Because he didn't give you the right message in the first place. Yeah. No, you didn't write it down properly. Oh, these are the inerrant words of God as handed to us by at least 12 witnesses. Yes, but they've already dug up, you know, there's extra books of the Bible that didn't get published. Oh, I know. I mean, you and I know you're, you're actually making my point. Yeah, well, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. That... Um, what a lovely place to finish. Luna, <laughs> it has been an absolute treat. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure.